powered from the Fedora Scar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from down under outside Brisbane, Australia. It's episode 73 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, we take a look at the year 1991 in music. And as always, the Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaragua Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Amenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the new Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And I want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of that Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban agronomists on the best lands in Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of their JFR, JFR Lunatic, Guardian of Farm, or Casa Fernandez cigars, you experience the unique taste and aroma that makes Aganorsa Leaf special. Smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorsa Leaf. Of course, we want to mention Jerry Tobacco. The authentic Corojo Leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds, and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Jerry, uh, Julio and his son Justo bring their very own brand to market, each containing that authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in 100% authentic Corojo Puro, San Andreas Maduro, Ecuadorian Connecticut Shade, Honduran Grown Cameroon, or Abano Wrapper, representing the Golden Age of Scars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retail, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And finally, by Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app for your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California studios for the Primetime Show. And I want to remind everybody that uh, Cigar Coops uh, coverage of the 2022 PCA trade show will be sponsored by both Delos Ray Cigars and Drew Estate this year. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime jukebox episode 73 we are in the middle of, of june and uh, we're recording this on father's day weekend in the u.s at least mm. this is will cooper uh i'm on the black stage here in the Perdomo Scott studios 
And I'm joined on the other end of the world by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello, Coop. I just want to give a shout out to Coop, who's pulling a lot of duty this recording evening. He's got multiple shows, multiple cigars. He's toughing it out, man. He's listen, going for it. Uh, listen, I love doing this show with you, and sometimes we have to make a few adjustments. Uh, you know, we I think one thing you and I work really good together, and if we have to do a little bit of a uh, double duty, um, it, it's worth it. Uh, if folks don't know, I'm actually doing the dose. I'm like we're recording this on a Friday night, and I'm doing Smoke Night Live at nine o'clock. Right now, I got to tell you, I'm I'm I've never been more excited to be on Smoke Night Live than this Friday night show. Mm. Because we're doing we're doing something called first impressions, like where we smoke a cigar for the first time and we have to give out like what we think of it. Now, that's not really the exciting part, okay? Because I've actually I did a couple of shows with Eric doing this already, but it's who's gonna be on tonight doing the first impressions with me, and it's Aaron. Do you think he'll like any any of them? Uh, he's saying he's gonna be he's not gonna be hard or crit ultra critical. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way he likes these cigars. That's interesting. I mean, I can't get a read on his palate, to be honest, from watching that. <laughs> Nobody can. Like, I can get a read on, like, John, June, and Seth. Like, I kind of know where their palate's at. But I can't get a read on, on his. Oh, it is going to be. I, I mean, here's the thing. I think they told him he has to score with the 100-point system, and he agreed to do it. Right. Okay. But like Aaron is not going to be afraid to use the full hundred points. No, but it will be if people for people that do watch it, it'll be one of the rare times you'll see Aaron go over a five. (laughs) Numbers that are above six. Yeah. You'll see double digit numbers out of Aaron. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So so here's what's on the docket for Aaron tonight. All right. Mm, mm. First one is he's he's gonna smoke the Villager TAA 2022, which is oh, the cigar okay. blended by Hector. They didn't like the 21. I know. Oh, the 21 was awful. He, yeah. They had that one. They were right. The, I've smoked the 2022, and it's 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 actually pretty good. But the 2021 okay. Villager should. I mean, that was an embarrassment for a TAA cigar. I don't know how to say. But the 2022 is actually pretty good. So. um right. You know, I think that, and then he's going to be smoking the Monte Cristo Espada Signature, which is a new limited edition Monte Cristo. Mm. How's he been on Monte Cristos? Does he like them or? I don't nah, know. He I'm killed. He killed the 1935, one. which everybody yeah. loved. <laughs> so oh, it's not going, go it's figure not that. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm smoking just you know, uh, and this is already out there by the time everyone's listening. I'm smoking the Camacho Factory Unleashed Two. Okay. And- Yep, I haven't smoked it, so um, I know Eric likes that cigar, so that's why I picked it. And the other one is the La Gloria Cubana Criollo, Criollo de Oro, Whoa, which has had okay. some mixed reviews from people. I've seen some good reviews, and I've seen some not-so-good reviews. So I you... know the Aaron and the Palace guys like the Camacho, the distillery line. They do. Distillery but they... they like some of those. So Yeah, yeah. They, that's true. I don't. I don't They're think Aaron liked the cigar. Dojo one as much as the others, though. No, but the newer ones. I think the Connecticut is something they all really liked. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's, it's interesting. Seth, I think Seth liked this Unleashed too. Right. So I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. Okay. But we'll see. I mean, uh, 
So we'll see what happens with with that as far as so that will actually so that's a little bit why um um it, it, so that was the only challenge I had for today you know so uh but but this is an exciting show tonight Dave we're going to be getting into and I'm I'm definitely uh into it um but I guess we got some housekeeping we want to go through so I'll turn that one over to you first housekeeping uh the website cigarjukebox.com and email cigarjukebox at gmail.com absolutely send us a message of show requests and stuff which coop and i just did some show planning last week and there's been some requests listeners have in and our your shows have been booked in yeah years, so well we, we scheduled them yep we scheduled them yep so they will happen one way or another yep. on them. Mm-hmm. yeah so if you ask for a show um, you got it yep yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll ask- be letting you know yeah <laughs> Email over. Um, So, uh, first of all, it's Pride Month this month. So, uh, there's a lot of playlists on Spotify and podcasts featuring LGBTIQA plus artists. So, if you are wanting to find some music celebrating Pride Month, you go on Spotify. I have a feature on the website kind of uh, reviewing... Um, some artists, some some openly LGBTIQA plus artists who have some great music out there, so you can celebrate this month and listen to some great music. Um, music news related to that coop. Mm-hmm. Little Nas X, whose album Montero got huge critical acclaim, nominated for a Grammy coop. Yes, I remember nominated that. For, nominated for a Grammy, but the big news is that the BET Awards, that's like Black Entertainment um, awards don't have him nominated at all. I'm not surprised. And he uh, and he's thinking it's because um, as an out gay man, they don't want to nominate his stuff, and it has caused a bit of a bit of a controversy in the music world because how do you get nominated for a Grammy and you're not nominated for, you know, the BET awards? Like usually, if you're nominated for a Grammy, you're sort of nominated for everything. Yeah, like so, normally, yeah. normally it's the other way around. We're criticizing the Grammys, and, and actually the Grammys did a better job in some cases than I expected mm-hmm. this year, but yeah. Yeah, so he's sort of been outspoken about that uh, lately. Um, so if you've been into that news, that's sort of, uh, it's all sort of happening around Pride Month as well, which sort yeah. of puts a spotlight on it. Um, in, in record news, I have to say, as a as a precursor to new music news, a lot of records drop coop, but I don't really like a lot of a lot of them. No, I mean, I I, I got to agree with you. Um, you know, we we were, I think our expectations were a lot higher what we were going to see this year. Um, I, and it's uh, just not happened. I uh, so um, Drake just dropped an album like yesterday. Yeah, any fanfare or anything. I had a listen. I think it's called. It's like forget it, never mind, or something like that. Um, I'll I'll look it up real quick. But I am not a fan. It's heavy on the like auto tune, very heavy on the production. Um, I am not a fan of it. Uh, but if you're a Drake fan, it's called Honestly Never Mind. It just came out. Um. It's very, it's very Drake. Like it's very brooding. It's very moody. Uh, and it, but I mean, I guess my issue with it is there's a lot of over auto tune on it for me. So, but that's dropped. I mean, you have, um, 
Simple Minds dropped a record recently. I, I, yeah, I haven't talked to Hector about it yet. I mean, he's, you know, he's a Simple Minds guy. It's the single they have. I mean, it's all right. Uh, but yeah, so there's been there's some music out there, but it just really hasn't been taking me by storm. The one latest review I have is for Pusha T has a new record out. So if you're a Pusha T fan, he has a record out, which is his first one in maybe like four years or so. Yeah, so we uh, we'll, we'll get to that new music. I have a review of that on the site. Um, yeah, um, just one note on the Pride Month stuff. Um, get your disco records out this month, guys. Disco it up. Um, I know we've talked about it a lot. There's probably it's probably the genre that if uh, like I said, if you want to support it, um, they've been the most open genre I think in in, mm. in music when it came to that community. So, um, you know, go check it out. Yeah, said, check yeah, it out. Look, let's focus on the music, guys. It's all good. Yeah. For uh, for uh, oh, and on my feature on the story, if if you wanna, because we talk about we did the same thing when we talked about Black History Month and stuff last year. Uh, we did a feature on it, a story on it, and then I put some links to some organizations if you want to donate some money to people to help. In the community, a lot of organizations that work with young people or yep. other people. We did the same thing for Black History Month. A lot of organizations that work with um, African-American community. So if you read the story, you're like, oh, I want to help. You could just click a link and give them 20 bucks. Yep. And there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, you go. Exactly. Uh, so check all that stuff out. I guess music-wise, Coop, um, there's not... Not a ton, except I said that Drake album is probably the biggest release news. Oh, there's other big release news, Coop, that I didn't put in the notes. But it's rumored next month Beyonce will have a new record out. Interesting. That's the rumor. Very so interesting. I'm very excited for that. And you talked about Justin Bieber now is canceling shows because of that nerve. Yeah, that, 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 yeah that nerve virus in his face. Yeah. So he's canceled some shows. But Dave, it, we're in June, right? Yep. This, this is the U.S. summer. Mu- some, you know, the, the summer is always the music month in the U.S. Yes. Right? Yep. And especially this is like the first summer most people are getting back to normalcy right now. Mm. Where, where is the great summer music that we have? Come I was it's, just... it's not there right now. You bring up an excellent point, Coop. Yeah. Where is the big summer track, the big track of the summer? Yeah. And maybe it'll be on that Beyonce record. I don't think it's on the Drake record. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, it'll I'm, be on that Beyonce I'm, record. I'm, I got to admit, I'm a little bit perplexed right now. What, what's Usually going- there's a big pop track that dominates the summer. Yeah. You are correct. Yep. I mean, some yeah, of the where's... earlier stuff came out earlier. I mean... Um, you know, Tears for Fears was early. I mean, Harry Styles, I think, was a Harry late... Styles too early. It, he could yeah. have had it. He could have with like boyfriends and um, as it was, like maybe if his record, if he would have delayed yeah. it, he could have had the summer track. Yeah, but um, I, yeah, I mean, it's worth watching as we get into. You know, I normally look at June as that, like when we start to see the music come out. July is a little bit of a blur for me, like the last 10 years of PCA, unfortunately. Yeah, but then I usually I reckon, pick back up in August. Yeah. yeah. I reckon it could be off the Beyonce record. Also, I don't know when she's releasing it, but remember a long ago, like maybe six, seven months ago, Taylor Swift released 
Wildest, I think it was Wildest Dreams, uh, a single for her Taylor version of 1989. So if yeah. she dropped that out of nowhere, like that could dominate the summer as well. I mean, it's a re-release, but it could dominate the summer. She just drops it out of the blue. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, I would I would agree with you as far as that goes. Um, it's um, I mean, yeah, that I think something will drop from Taylor. That's what I'm kind of getting. At. I thought I saw oh. some. I thought I saw some rumors going around about you know we don't I don't do rumors, but I did hear that. No, I mean, she's about due. Uh, but. But yeah, but we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. Um, well, the, the one thing I will say, though, is the summer concert music yeah. has been another story, though. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. We've had, like I said, this has been a great time if you want to get back out and go to concerts. Tears for Fears just came through on Monday. It's the first time I've ever missed Tears for Fears coming through my local town. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's I'm a little, I'm not ready to go back to concerts yet. I'm going to be honest with you, crowd-wise. Yeah. But um, and that's but that's but but they uh they did come through town. So um, that's a good thing. People, I I know Matchbox Twenty's coming through town. Um, a bunch of other, you know, if you're looking for for good, you know, good music, Jack Johnson's coming through here. Mm-hmm. I think next uh, next month. So you'll see some stuff happening. So the concert wise, it's great. But I'm just we're not seeing that great summer new music that we always get. I was just I was just thinking, Coop, and you are correct. I was just thinking what's funny is the 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 track that's dominating the world right now is is a, a Kate Bush track that was released like twenty five years ago yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. The summer track is a track that was released in like eighty six. Yeah. I mean Lizzo's records coming out, she could have something on there, I think. I mean that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. I reckon Lizzo could have something uh, big on that. Um anyway. Interesting. We should do summer. We should do summer tracks as a summer. A, as a some show. great summers we pick of summer music. Even we could do like I know the big summer for me was 84. Yeah, that was a huge summer of music for for me. And that was really yeah. highlighted by Purple Rain coming out. Yeah. And then I, like, mean, I remember for. Yeah. yeah. What what else is 84? So yeah, well, Purple Rain. It, um, that was like when um, Wham kind of came out late. Lamb kind of yeah. kind of late in the summer they emerged, but Springsteen was huge that summer. That was dancing. Yeah. That was a born in the USA dancing in the dark. So so he was huge in there. Stevie Wonder came out big that year. Billy Ocean was a had a huge summer with Caribbean oh, Queen. So a lot of the you know, there was a lot of music that came out that year. Uh, the Pointer Sisters were around that year. Mm. I uh, I was I remember when I was growing up, uh, or what I can't remember how old I was. But there's that time when Will Smith was really big and he would always drop like a summer track like he his like summertime and then other other tracks. He'd always have a good summer track. I remember summertime was just like dominating the summer. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, it what what comes out and if it if it takes the summer or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, and there's usually like one song like I go back to 84. I want to say it was. It was Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Oh, Even though yeah. Dove's Cry came out earlier, but Let's Go Crazy was they, they used to promo the movie. And I think everyone was really into that song. And that really kind of just Yeah. Yeah, that was a big song. Uh now, I mean we've done this record before, but I remember 
Um, Jagged Little Pill came out in summer. It was a June release. It was a June release. And and uh and hand in my like the hand in my pocket song was huge. That was a big summer track. And and that kind of that, that album carried in through the winter though, into ninety six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that was a lot of momentum that album had, yeah. But it had a big summer track. It had a like sort of the summer track on yeah, the yeah. video was like she's driving in the car, it's, yep. uh, you know, hand out the hand out the window, and yep. that was a big summer track. I that was uh, yeah. Oh, I love that track. Shaggy surely has had a summer track. Surely. Oh, uh, I mean, I think uh, I got to look at when it was released, but um, it was Boobastic released or the track he did with Sean Paul. Oh, he had I don't have a summer track. I mean, it Sorry. wasn't me. I think was was a huge summer hit. He had. Um, but anyway, future show. it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. It was a winter release. See, I'm the most surprised on it was Love Me, Love Me. It was Bubastic. Love Me, Love Me was a summer track. Yes. Okay. That, that, twice it was a summer track because they re-released it. And, yeah, Love Me, Love Me. That, that's the one. Okay. Yep. Because he's got a hat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going crazy. I'm like, if he didn't, he was missing a golden opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have big cigar news, Coop. Big. Yep. Um, Matt Booth has sold Rumor One, the cigar brand, to Scandinavian Tobacco Group. Um. I at first I thought maybe it was like a licensing deal, kind of. Remember when Sam Lucia was a sort of acquired by General? Yes, that was a little more of a licensing deal. This one, from what I I've, I've been able to talk to some sources and I've messaged with Matt, this was a sale. He sold this. He sold the cigar part of it, and it's gonna. But he still carries the Room One One name for his jewelry and jet. But he doesn't. He, so he's not going to be involved with creative. Like he's not going to be helping with blends or anything. Absolutely the opposite. They hired him on as creative director. Oh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at least for now. So the deal is this: that um, yeah. you know, the analogy I was given was like this: Davidoff years ago sold their cigarette division to British American Tobacco. It's still called Davidoff Cigarettes. But there's a Davidoff, you know, a separate Davidoff company for cigars. It's kind of the same thing with Matt Booth. Room 101 is now owned by Scandinavian Tobacco Group. And um, but the but he owns the jewelry brand and everything like that. Yeah. See, I thought, Dave, this right. was an odd move, right? For, um, for, first of all, it wasn't a surprise. I'm going to tell you that this rumor had been floating around for about a year. I never asked Matt about it. I just dismissed it, right? Um, but there was a picture taken with Matt Booth about a year ago at a sales meeting with at the General Cigar, and um, that's when the rumors started. Like people thought he was going to General back then. But the, the thing is this, like, and I, Dave, I'm going to say this kind of like really kindly, right? Mm. Does Matt Booth have a line that General absolutely had to have that in their portfolio? I don't. I, I gotta be honest. Like maybe Namakubi, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's no um, like. I don't see it. I see him as the most valuable property for for them. Yeah, maybe that's why they did it. I'm sure that's why they did. And I think he. I think for first of all, I think this is a great opportunity for him, and I think he can help them enormously as well as they can help him. So I think this is not a bad thing by any means. No, I think. I think it's I think it's a good thing for general if they want to 
like diversify their image, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they want, they want that sort of fresh, kind of like indie-ish property that could kind of, I guess, um, freshen up the look of the entire company. I guess. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. I, I agree, but and for, I think yeah, if they let him do his thing, he's gonna he's gonna yeah push him in directions that they haven't been pushed before. I mean, I guess that's the the. The question whether they let him do his thing or not. I mean, I'm assuming they know what they're getting into. I think they, I think they definitely did. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think if anyone went in there, right, thinking that they were going to turn Matt Boots into a choir boy, right? No. Um, that that's that's a disaster. And I, I don't think Matt would have did it. And actually, I know a lot of the good folks at, at Scandinavian Tobacco slash General slash Fords, and Matt Boots can be on the Fords, not General. Yeah. I, I think actually um, they, they're smart people and they know it too. So in your opinion, did he, was this a move based on it helps me with distribution? It helps me get access to, or it helps the brand or me as a creative get access to tobaccos that I wouldn't normally get or like what, what was the motivation for me? I mean, it's good on him. Get your bag. Like, like, yeah, like stack stack your cash, man. Like I'm very happy for him in that sense, but I'm trying to think. But I don't think he got a ton of cash for this either. That's kind of where I'm going. Right. I think he's been, I bet you there's a big salary that came with this, so. Yeah, right. Right, but because again, um, you know when he when he left Davidoff, I mean he kind of left all he left all those you know he didn't come in with yeah. inventory. He's worked to build. I think he's done a great job the last five years in rebuilding his core. Oh, line. yeah. Definitely. Uh, you know, the forest, the doomsayer. Uh, he's brought back Namakubi, big paybacks doing well. He's done good with That's that, right? Star. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now, you know, I think he's done, but I think, you know, first he tried distribution with Caldwell, and then he tried it with La Polina. And I can, I say this a hundred times to people. You can get a very good cigar made, right? You could work. You can find the right people, the right tobacco. And you get a good cigar. Distribution's a, a a whole other animal. And now he's got forged, which it's really you know, like I said, it's that split off from General. And there's a there's a there's a he's got a ready made sales force. And Dave, they have a really good sales force forged. It's like an all star team they built with their sales force. And okay. I think they were, if anything, they needed product to sell, right? Yeah, right. Well, you bring in Room 101, you have like instant credibility right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and Matt, you know, you, you're doing it with brokers. And with all due respect, brokers are some of the hardest working people. It's tough to, to get to that kind of growth. So what, what's Matt going to do? He can't hire his own sales force. He'd go broke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, I, well, I, I couldn't be happier for him. I, I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, I mean, I'll be excited to see what projects come out of this. Um, yeah, I've now. heard he's already, but he's gonna have his hand on some non rumor and stuff. Supposedly, there's one of the other brands he's going to do something with. So we'll see. Yeah, see, that's what you do. You, 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 yeah. you load him out to spruce up some of your other brands. Yeah, no, they, I mean, imagine putting Matt Booze with Partagas, right? Ooh. Generally, that Partagas, the US Partagas brand needs, needs a shot in the arm, like it really Ooh. does. So why not put him with Partagas, right? That would be a great idea. Um, apparently, oh, good on, good on apparently him. they're not changing the factories with anyone they're working with either, which I think is a good deal. Okay. So I hope it stays like that for a while because 
I think Matt's done a great job at like he's gone with AJ and Ventura, mm-hmm. Hoya to Nicaragua. He's done a couple of things with General already. So so he's got some good factories he's working with. Okay. Um yeah, so I think it's it's good. That's exciting. I'm excited to sort of yep. see what comes out of it. I'm I excited am excited to see what projects he does outside of the room one oh one line with their other brands. I'm yep. very excited to see yep. that. Yep. But good on your booth. Big news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, was like I said, it wasn't the biggest surprise. Like some people, but I said this had been talked about ever since that picture got leaked out about a year ago. Um, and I'll tell you, there was one industry person who was insistent that this was going to happen for months, who we both know. So he was absolutely saying it, it was it was true that Matt was was, and I didn't believe it. I thought Matt may go to distribution was. I never thought Matt would go back corporate though after Davidoff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think Matt had the opportunity probably to set his own terms with this. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Like yeah. you said, like yeah. if you're bringing him on, you almost have to go like whatever you want, you get it. Because yeah. like, you know, yeah. if you put a lot of restrictions on him, it's like, well, why go get him in the first place? Yeah. But I am making him so, do the funk yeah. music show, by the way. We're getting him back. We're doing a funk oh. music show with him again. So. He's so great at the punk. Yeah, I, I'm gonna get him. He, I mean, he has been really busy. It, it's tough to get him. Oh, yeah, I oh, imagine yeah. it's not gonna slow down, but we'll, we'll work no. on it. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, speaking of cigars, mm-hmm. the Valley Palace review of the week. I put down the the knuckle sandwich habano because they actually liked it, Coop. Yeah, and you know, like, I'll be honest. June liked it. June liked it. Um, and I'll be honest, that was like my least favorite of the knuckle sandwiches of the sizes and the blends. Okay. But it wasn't a bad, but that's not saying it was a piece of garbage. I like the Maduro better and I like some of the bigger sizes than the Habano. I had the, I have the Maduro right now, the Toro, and it hits like a truck. Yeah. Like that's a car, (laughs) man. But, uh, I guess every, almost everybody liked it. They did. I mean, Aaron gave it a score that that I found it's like, oh, he liked it. But then he said in his review, like, I probably won't be going back to it. I was like, but you gave it like a five eight or something, didn't he? Like a five something. Which is like, you know, Aaron, that's top 25 material for Aaron. I know. So, yeah. Looking at their scores, it might be a top 25 cigar coupe because all the other ones were over six. And I think June and John were almost at a seven. They're like six eight or something. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, June, who's been probably most doom and gloom lately you know yeah, he has not been liking cigars like like lately. aaron will just say i'm not coming back to it june's like uh come on give me a cigar that's good uh he yeah. liked that cigar i i think i think hector did a hell of a job with that line i mean the, the two blends i think they're great blends i haven't reviewed them yet no they are great blends i mean i've had the maduro and i really like it i, I really like the maduro i was a maduro toro guy and a maduro robusta guy to me i thought those were the two best but i'm looking at the scores here and um, really like Aaron it. gave it a five seven five. Seth gave it a six. So like a five seven five for Aaron is pretty yeah. fucking high. Now a six <laughs> is kind of middle of the road for Seth, who doesn't do a lot of middle of the road ones. And then John and June gave it six eight two. Mm. Um, June really liked it, which I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. So uh, June wrote. Uh, but spicy because if you're a fan of typical offerings, you will not be disappointed with this one. I agree. It was very quintessential Espinosa, uh, that profile. 
that you know that's Eric that's Eric's Habano. You know, Eric loves Habano. Yeah, well, I gotta get my hands on on that one. I've just like I said, I've just got worked through the uh, the uh, Maduro in a couple sizes, so I gotta try the. Um... I probably and smoked I the Maduros did... two to one over the Habanos. Yeah, I'll have to try the Habano. I mean, yeah. I think Drew made a really good point in that he was saying that on the face of it, you're like, oh, here's another celebrity like gimmick cigar. But he was sort of saying that, like, as far as like, if you look at celebrity cigars, like, this is a really solid cigar. Yeah. And yeah. Not, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, Hector, you know, guy wasn't hand selecting the tobaccos. I mean, that's no. But Hector was really iterating through this blend a lot for them over the past couple of years. But I mean, it's sort of like, like they did just slap something together and like whack and say, hey, this is the guy. Bieri cigar and no. just try to sell it off of his name like they made a really good cigar yeah I mean and that's that's a testament to the work Hector does uh, who's doing you know he's done a very good job with that stuff so branding too. yeah I love yeah. the branding on it yep yeah this wasn't something like Hector pulled out of his closet in his office no and you may see that cigar or a knuckle sandwich cigar on the show in the future I have one yeah. sitting in my humidor yeah that's I think we probably will break those out for a certain show, yeah, yeah. Um, but getting to this show, what are you what are you smoking, Coop? I'm telling you, I'm smoking one of the better Room 101 cigars I've had in the last few Ooh. years. Um, this is called the Snake Shake, which you can go to Cigar Coop and find out what it means. All right. <laughs> But, but let's put it like this. It's quintessential Matt Booth. Yeah, I, I don't have to. Yeah, Yeah, if you want to know what a snake shake. Um, normally, I, I, here's the deal. This is a cigar he did for Luxury Cigar Club. Now, Luxury Cigar Club is a, they have a subscription club, but they, they're doing brick and mortar distribution. And this cigar is one that Matt did with AJ that they're distributing to the brick and mortars. I really like this cigar. This got a 90 on Coop. Uh, it's I love when Matt does Maduro. I wish Matt would do more Maduro. Um, he worked with AJ. This is like that cocoa flavor you get in there. A uh, little bit of dried fruit. Some of the nice AJ spice you'll get to this. Starts out medium, goes medium to full. But, I, you know, I'm starting it right now. And I'm telling you, in the, in the early stages of this, I'm getting that cocoa. I'm getting that cocoa powder right on, on the tongue right now. Mm, uh, a little good. bit of a coffee note in there, too. So I'll, I'll kind of report back to see how this goes as we go. But uh, I got to get more of these. I don't have any more of these, Dave, to send you. They were so good, I went through them. I got to get uh, – hey, I'll check and see if they uh, if luxury ships to uh, yeah. Australia. I'll order some up. If, if you have a problem um, – I may be able to talk to someone there and see what we could do. I say, come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll um, ask. Yeah, I can't no, promise. I can't. I don't want to put words in hey. their mouth. They're good guys. Hey, hey, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll contact. I, them and see. I gotta say, they're really good guys. Um, you know, when I, when they want me to review their cigars, I said, look, we got to start reporting your cigars in the news, and they were yeah. really accommodating to me on that. So, um, I appreciate that. So, because we want to be able to report the cigar and then review the cigar on Coop. So, they were they did great. They were great people. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. What do you I got, have now? This is a brand that I have been hard on in the past, but it has now like come come good. Yep. Uh, they were a now or never feature for a long time, and that is Alec Bradley. I have the Alec Bradley Black Market Toro. Uh, that's you know that line's been around for ten years already, God. over ten years, and it's a cool blend. It's kind of a blend, Dave. 
that I'd say is also out of the Gallic Bradley wheelhouse. Like it has Panamanian tobacco in that thing. So good. It, it is. Um, I think that they have a black market Nicaraguan that's good. Mm-hmm. The black market hooligan, obviously, I love because it's Candela. But um, this, I brought, I got this one because one of the albums I'll be talking about is a uh, black album. So I got the black market to. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, we are going to talk about black. To go with that. Yeah. But no, I haven't had. No, it's a very good cigar. It is. Like it, like us, like with the knuckle sandwich, it sort of hits you like a truck. A bit. Yeah, but it's got some sweetness on it, Coop, and just the spice and the strength and body. It is excellent. It, it, it is, and like I said, it's kind of like there's something about that. I don't know what that Panamanian tobacco does. I don't think it's a very strong tobacco, but it does something to the flavor profile. That it's oh. like there's no other cigar like that, you know. And it, it's easy you're gonna like it or not. No, and if you like it, it has, it, and it's a, it's. I think they talk about it on palettes a lot with Davidoff, but it has that sort of mushroomy, yeah, kind of quality that I love. Yeah, it, it's some really, people may not, but I love it. Really good, yeah. I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. I and you know, it's a, it's still a very good seller for them. Oh, I for years I, that was like their number one cigar in the portfolio. I think now, like, there's a few others like Magic Toast has come in there. God, that cigar is good. Um. They've done a lot of different yeah. extensions and variations of the Prensado as well. Yeah. Yep. But uh, but it's a great cigar, so pick some up if you can. Yep. Have they ever done this? I know Dave Garofalo loves the show. I don't know if they've done that, but this and like a firecracker would be like. That would be a great firecracker. <laughs> yeah. That would be hot. Yeah, that would be a great firecracker. I know Alec Rubin and Dave Garofalo, huge fans. They're listening right now. Yeah, uh, think about it. Firecracker, black market. I'm gonna suggest it to both those guys when I talk to them at the Man, show. It'd be good, wouldn't it be amazing? Yeah, yeah, I think it would be excellent. I think they do. I think they do great things with it. By the way, that Bandolero firecracker I just smoked. It's fantastic. Ooh. Yeah. So. Firecrackers in general yep. are amazing. Yeah, give Dave Garofalo your money and give Firecracker. Mm-hmm. Um, ninety-one. So Cooper and I thought of this. We we're doing the seventy-one show, and we're like, you know, another good year for music was ninety-one. Yeah, a, a very important year in the music business, I think, overall, especially in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. So initially, for me, when I was looking at it, is first off, it is not a great year for country. Uh, no, for me, country revolution <laughs> came a few years later. Yeah. For me, this is where country dies for about six years. Um, yeah, it was really Garth Brooks, Scanner, yeah. and Billy Ray. Garth Brooks. So, yeah. What was the other one? I mean, not Tim McGraw. What were the other ones? Billy Ray Brooks Cyrus. Yeah. It was very sort of poppy cowboys with like, you know, yeah. tight jeans and flames on their shirt. It was not a great year. It was yeah. far too poppy country for me. And I think. In retrospect, I think a lot of country fans really detest that sort of era. Yep. Um, Dolly Parton did have a record, "Eagle When She Flies." Uh, not, not not the best, although she was still putting out traditional bluegrass country, uh, which will make a re- which will make a resurrection in about six seven years. Right. I mean, when the chick, <laughs> when the when the when the chicks come back. Uh, they kind of bring back that sort of, sort of yep. 
uh, you know, banjo picking, yep. you know, fiddle, and they get away from the Garth Brooksy sort of stuff. So, but but yeah, bad year for country. So there's not gonna be a lot of country on this list. There's my Dolly Parton reference for everybody. There you go. Uh, but it was what it was, Coop, for me, and I'll be interested to hear what you think about it, is that it was all about that Seattle sound and hip-hop killing metal. Really. Agree. Agree. It, it's that metal became mainstream, and the, the grunge sound and hip-hop came to just really sort of decimate it. And, and decimate metal, be, metal became mainstream. As well. Yeah. You're, you're, you nailed that right. Metal became mainstream like 87, 88. Yes. Is, but then I think there were events that happened that um, the name of the rise of grunge was big uh, and hip hop that, that killed it. Yeah. I think there were some other things that were out of metal's control, too. Yeah. I think at the time, sort of, I put much like 71, because we'll have like the big economic downturn and recession in 92 that's really i mean that sort of is coming out here that kind of plays into a lot of yeah. this is that much like 71 there's a lot of distrust in the government there was a lot of feeling that you know the great time in the 80s was over and a lot of people were doing it tough and so what came out in the music in both hip-hop and uh the seattle sound was a very anti-corporate anti-mainstream even though these records will all go platinum um anti-mainstream this big sellout sort of thing anti-corporate uh for hip-hop it was sort of like like with nwa it was returned to like um being really aggressive and talking about problems in the streets problems with poverty looking at social issues getting away from like the mc hammer sort of pop stuff and like a lot of the biggest names in hip hop come out at this time. A lot of the biggest names in music now come out of this time. And there was really Coop, this sort of like distrust of uh, systems and distrust of corporations that really sort of fueled the music on both sides. I think both hip hop and, 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 uh, um, hip and uh, grunge. I mean, even, even Nirvana, right? That was selling a bazillion albums. We're wearing shirts like Kurt Cobain's like shirt that said corporate rock sucks. Yeah. Like stuff like it was still mm-hmm. this like counterculture vibe that was really rebelling against how like Dr. Feelgood, No More Tears, how metals become this really sort of saccharine mainstream thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it's very true. And so it's a big sort of transition year. I mean, what did you like? What are your thoughts sort of going into it? So one thing that I think is really important to know about 1991 in the U.S. We went to war for the first time in about 18 years yep. since Vietnam, and it was there was a very it was it was only a two month war. It was the Gulf War, but you know it was the first time that we had had you know we had we had a long period of peace, like one of the longest yep. periods of peace. And this was the first time there was a lot of uneasiness going into, you know, you know, would we have another v- would 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 Kuwait be our next Vietnam? Right. Yeah. Yep. A lot of people. We didn't quite get the protest because I think it was such a short war. 
Yeah. But it was the aftermath of that where things started to change uh, and really unravel in the U.S., particularly for the Bush. We won't get political, but the Bush administration had its problems. And then there was, you know, we, we went into recession and stuff. So it was an interesting year, just that all going on. Right. Um, but there were things in the music business that were really um, taking place. Right. And you mentioned grunge broke through metal had peaked and started to go. But it was the transitional year where Top 40 basically started to go demise, right? And Top 40, the record industry had used this for, for many years, right? They, um, that was their form for promoting records, right? But what happened is we were starting to see a fragmentation happen um, over the, you know, we started seeing this in the 80s. And it kind of moved, it kind of accelerated to 90. People now had other ways of listening to music on the go besides um you know a radio station they had walkmans where they you know walkmans they could take their seat you know cds anywhere right mm. they had um you know better car stereos out there so people started basically they said we don't need to like people realize don't we don't have to yeah. be dictated what we have to we can listen to our own things and you started seeing the splintering start to happen mm. and um Eventually, um, you know, the splintering started taking over and it started people started moving away from top 40. The other thing was um, college radio was big. I mean, the college music circuit, particularly when I was in went to school, 80, 80, 85, to 89, I started seeing that happen. Well, that's that. when um, Rolling Stone used to then in, in the I used to be a Rolling Stone guy. Yeah. Rolling Stone in the back of their magazine used to have like the, the college top 10. Like they had a college chart like they had pop UK. Yeah. And like college. Yeah. 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 Um, so a lot of these other artists, which normally you, you say you had to go through the system, mm-hmm. get on a top 40 radio or find an alternative radio station. Mm-hmm. It became easier to get the alternative radio stations because um, the government deregulated the broadcast industry in 81. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically with that is it led to uh, an increase in a lot more radio stations. And there were a lot. So the radio stations eventually now were catching on to these other formats with the splintering. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 1981, it was a bad year for radio. Sixty four percent of the commercial radio stations lost money. Right. Um, and that was a big thing. Now, the other thing that happened, the last thing that happened that's important. Billboard actually started getting real sales data. Okay, what oh, Billboard right, used to okay. do to, to sales is they call the big record stores and they get like something on the phone will give it to them. Now they implemented right. a system called SoundScan, right? Oops. Where now you could re- it was a lot more accurate, and there was a big change in the Billboard charts. And so now these alternative things, um, and alternative meaning I'm saying outside top forty, yep. 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 now started to also. Um, change so we saw this landscape really start to change metal kind of got caught with the top because metal was brought into metal was kind of accepted right Mm -hmm. um but this the seattle movement a few years it was the arizona music scene that kind of started coming in um all these things led to a big upheaval and this was i'd say 1991 was the end of that top 40 pop music era that we had yeah. seen from the post disco days to 1991 and there were a few artists that had what i call the last pops last stand but we also saw some emerging artists come um that year and 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 make impact with with debut records 
or change really kind of just lands land uh land mm. landmark records if you want to call it as well so i think we had a lot of that going on yeah it is uh, it's very interesting i really like your point about the radio where this is the radio is moving from something that you had on all the time like in your house right and stuff to like something you really just listen to in the car if you didn't have a cd right right so and I think that the whole top 40 is sort of losing its relevance and it'll continue to lose its relevance. It, it, it totally did. Right. Um, and, and, like, and this would accelerate this, did, you know, when, when Napster came and streaming, yeah. I mean, so this was just the beginning of this upheaval that we saw, but it was a big year where, like I said, we just started to see this really all come together. I think in 91. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, much like 71, where you saw landmark albums of multiple yeah. genres, that's like 91 as well. Like you saw huge grunge records. You saw huge hip hop records. Yeah, like multiple genres were really sort of putting out landmarks. Yeah. And in our Battle of the Bands this year, where we did 90s Madness, three of the final four albums were from 1991, all released near each other. Because yeah. these were important albums as the... One of them was one of them was kind of the Metallica one was the end of the uh, was the end of that pop era. But the other two, Pearl Jam and uh, 10 and Nirvana, Nevermind, which went to the finals, were representing what was coming out of Seattle and this land. this like this fragmented music scene that was no longer no one could dominate anymore. I mean, a lot of stuff Coop's talking about sort of started around 88. Uh a little bit around 88, but then really gained momentum in 91 and is just going to keep gaining momentum through the 90s to like 94, 95. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's get to the music coop. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's now, like you put in your notes too, I would be remiss not to, to say that like the death of Freddie Mercury was in 91. That was a, so and that's a, a big, that's death. a major yeah. death that happened. Yeah. 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 yeah and it's important uh, not to mention that. That's kind of how the year ended, unfortunately. He died like around Thanksgiving, I think. Uh, November. Yeah, and it was a bit, you know, that's a huge artist we lost. Yeah, and and I think too, we can't we're talking a lot about, you know, uh the government stuff, but I don't think we can underestimate the impact of HIV and AIDS too on like just the sort of psyche of the nation, right? Um, where, you know, Freddie Mercury died of, of, of AIDS. Other prominent musicians are contracting AIDS and, and dying, and both in, like, musical theater and in music. I don't know when um, Magic Johnson was diagnosed, but it was around there. We were around that time. Yeah. Um, so it, it all added to this sort of fear and, like, the good times were over and it was from the 80s and... Just the sort of vibe of the nation. The war, like I said, the war kind of really was, I think, put the stamp on that, too, even though it was a short war. You had a a lot of different social uh, and health sort of issues. I mean, when was um, when was um, when were the 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 riots? Rodney King, Rodney King, I think it was a year after. Yeah. So so this is all in the works, right? Yeah. This is all sort of going on, which is similar to sort of Vietnam and police brutality and everything that's going on in 71. 91 is sort of replicating that. No, had, 91 was Rodney King. Yes, yeah, so we had Rodney King. So we had Rodney King brutality. going on. It was right after the war that happened. Yeah. March 3rd. Police brutality towards, towards black people is really getting heightened. You had this idea of 
like just a sense of like there's no one's safe and that's sort of filtering through in the music as the music's getting more yeah. aggressive closer to punk less mainstream um but yeah so all that's in the mix and we're gonna just talk about some records that sort of came yeah. out of that yeah yeah uh also it was interesting that year personally for me uh was my wife was pregnant with my daughter oh, we also right. took our first trip to europe that year which was kind of an eye-opener going to europe and Seeing the music scene in, in England was fun, too. I got oh, to see that for the first. Yeah, that was really fun to see that. You're on the front end of the British Invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Against. yeah. Yep. Um, All right. So let's, so let's get to your first record here, Coop. Yeah, so I'm going to go. I'm going to start it off with an end of the pop era record. Um, and I went with uh, it's actually a really good record. And it was the last album uh, for the most. Genesis did. It was from Genesis. Yeah. actually did do one more album with. They tried to do one without Phil Collins, but this was the last one with Phil Collins. Um, the album's called We Can't Dance. And it was probably one of the more safer uh, Genesis albums, I think. Um, for the most part, with the exception of one song, it was um, a very safe pop album. Um, yeah. they, did a, they did a song uh, called Jesus, He Knows Me, which was a kind of a satire on the preachers like Jim Baker and stuff from the late 80s. Um, they did a, a kind of a, a little bit of a darker song called No Son of Mine, uh, which are known to do darker songs. And then they did one of their what I would call historical songs called Driving the Last Spike, um, which is about the um, the whole uh, growth of the railroads. Right. Um, but the, most of the other songs were like, I'd say, safe pop songs that could be played on the radio. Um, but it was Genesis. But, it, but why I included this album, it is a good Genesis album. But it's not a progressive Genesis album by any means. Yeah. But yep. it kind of, again, emphasized this point that I think if this album came out three years later, it would not have had any commercial success. I think this was mm. it. This was this was kind of they were getting riding the coattails of this of this of the end of this uh, era. And um, but I think it's a very good album. Um, but again, it's not your progressive uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway type album. It's a, it's a pop album and it's got some good tracks and I think it's enjoyable to listen to. No, that's a good point. Like if, it, if this releases a couple years later like that, it ain't. It ain't going. I mean, this would have been dud. And then when Genesis tried to come back without Phil Collins in 97, they found out they got a, they, they found out that they could they got a rude awakening because they still tried to go with oh, some yeah. of that this type of sound, but they didn't have Phil and it was 97 and no one was no one was buying Yep. Um, right. Oh, did you talk about your songs from that record? Yeah, it was uh, the, the one I actually picked yep. uh, Driving the Last Bike, No Son of Mine, and Jesus He Knows Me. I have a couple of note updates that you'll have afterwards because I did do some note updates right before the show. That's all right. But so the people know behind the scenes, yeah. I have it hard copy and a pen. Yeah, well, so we I had a, like we had a little bit of an adjustment. So I had to put my I had to update. all. You, you want to get the updated notes for the song list. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm writing coop. Yeah. Um, I know, I know. Do this for guest DJ because they would never send me their songs, so I'd have to write them all down. No, I know, I don't know. It's it. They're all updated. Like I said, we we had to adjust a few things quickly. So, so hip hop. So this yeah. is really, really is where the East Coast West Coast divide happens. Coop, in my yeah. opinion. I like this pick you have too. First one, Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory. So the this came out ninety one. This really pushed the East Coast sound along which the roots will pick up later 
in the 90s as well like 94 95 some whatever that is um and it's this amazing fusion between hip-hop and jazz so they're sort of taking the hip-hop that east coast had because east coast like, had a lot of hip-hop we talked about bismarck a long time ago other people making a lot of hip-hop around that time they took that sound really freshened it up with it with a jazz infusion and it really lays down this sort of like hip hop jazz sort of subset of hip hop that, that continues today. Like Robert Glasper is essentially, he's yeah. a jazz artist, yep. but he brings hip hop artists on and it's essentially the same like fusion. Um, I mean, Roots still do it. Like it's a very, it's a very sort of thing now. Um, and they kind of are the forefront of that. And the, the tracks I had from them, uh, Jazz We Got, which is an amazing track, Check the rhyme, and then probably the iconic track off of this record is "Scenario" that brought in Busta Rhymes and and just this I, this just this um, panel of, of uh, rappers that really put together a great tracks. So, so low end theory. Yeah, I like you know, a, and you know we've talked about their importance. I think in the hip hop mm, scene as well. Well, hip hip hop's gonna be major in '91. So, and it's interesting yeah. when we look at this list, like how diverse it is because before this there's a lot of tone low mc hammer and it's kind of samey yeah um but nwa hits in like 88 89 and then i think ice cube puts out his debut record in like 90 i think and then in 91 you have a really sort of diverse hip-hop scene which we'll we'll get into but this is sort of starting off with the east coast stuff yeah you have a you have a heavy hitter yeah. Next, uh, next so this period. was the finalist in the uh, Battle of the Bands. Um, the uh, finals. This was uh, McTavish's pick, The Surgeon, uh, Pearl Jam 10, which is the debut album for Pearl Jam. You know, and I think a lot of us, when we did the show, I think we agreed Vitality might be the better album, certainly. Yeah. But this album should not be understated because this was an album that on the other end, this is one that benefited from a lot of those things happening and that the rise of this grunge movement, right? Mm. Um, I picked, so I picked two songs off here. I'm going to talk, and you probably don't see the two songs on that, but so the first one I picked was Black, right? Yeah. And, and here's why this is really, this is why I kind of gave some of this background information, right? So Black was, Black is really kind of this, I think it's kind of like, I've heard Michael Cutie talk about it. It's like a little bit of Stevie Ray Vaughan vibe with the guitar work in there. But this is what was interesting about this song. This was kind of a personal song that uh, Eddie Vedder had worked on because at the time he was trying to find a a drummer. Right. Yeah. Um, And actually, it was was actually Steve Gossard, I think, who wrote the song and Eddie. It was both these guys. And basically, Epic Records at the time uh, was, was their label. They loved this song. And they wanted it to be a single. And the band said, no. The band said, no, this is a personal song. We don't want it released as a, as a, as a, as a single. But what happened is, this is where the music industry changed, right? Uh, it still reached number, it's number three on the Billboard mainstream rock charts, right? Oh, I can imagine. So... That's again because you didn't need to kind of go that route anymore. But people were really digging this album, right? 
So I think black and black is a fantastic song, right? Off okay, this album. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why I kind of picked that song because I think it it amplified this transition we were seeing in the music business. Now the other one I picked was Jeremy, which I think is just oh. a, a masterpiece of a song. Tremendous song, yeah. Um, you know, that it's a Mount Rushmore song, I think, of not just Pearl Jam, but maybe uh, of the 90s. And it's it's I this is a song that it's this song's more about the lyrics of it, you know. Um, it, it was a little bit radio friendly, right? But it's the story, I guess, that Vetter was inspired by a high school student who shot himself in the English class, right? Mm. So, you know, grunge brought this darker element at times mm. to things. I don't really think of this as a dark song, right? But grunge had, you know, a lot of the things with grunge were rooted in some darker things, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Um, but I, I think, it's, I, I, like I said, uh, Jeremy is an amazing song. Uh, Vetter is just his vocals are fantastic on it. So, so Pearl Jam Ten is my next. That, that is my pick here. They benefited from what, the changes we saw in 1991. Yeah, and I I agree with McTavish in the sense that timing really hurt them because like if you come out after Nirvana, you're pretty much done. Yeah, yeah. How do you? Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's a band that has a huge following and still putting out music now. I mean, Eddie Vedder's done solo stuff and done like you know movie scores and they're extremely talented i think they're i think they're an amazing lyrical band and this was this song in particular shows it i mean wow i mean and and a lot of the other tracks on hand too i don't want to discredit that either they they are lyrically they are that good oh yeah 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 pick coop yeah um and of course, the next one I have to go with is Nirvana. Never mind. I'm not going to do a ton of stuff on this because we're doing the album market right. on it because it won. Um, but it's going to redefine pop and punk music forever, uh, as people probably know. <laughs> um, an interesting thing is that this is this is Dave Grohl's first record with the band. So they did Bleach with another drummer, and then they got Dave Grohl in on this record. It is a good record to join the band with, Coop. I have to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Look, uh, I know you're not a Foo Fighters guy, but you, Dave Grohl had a big part of that. Uh, of I mean, how talented can you be if yeah. you have two bands that are, yeah. that are Hall of Fame band? I mean, he's a very talented man, yeah. uh, Dave Grohl. But, I mean, if you're going to pick your debut album, you want to pick this one. Um, It's part of that anti-corporate theme. I mean, it's almost like Kurt Cobain and Butch Vig and those guys wanted to make music that they thought would not sell because it was so different um, that it was almost like, how, how can we make it as noisy as possible and see if it'll sell? Yeah. Um, Cause it's very different. Uh, it kind of followed the Pixies sort of, and the Pixies came out with the record this year as well, but it kind of followed the Pixie structure of kind of uh, quiet verses, uh, uh, loud choruses. And, um, which is a structure that a lot of bands still use today. So you can see the influence run all the way through. I mean, Nirvana still plays really well today, this record. Yep. Um, like my daughter listens to it today. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's pretty crazy. Um, so the songs I picked, Something in the Way, which has sort of gotten a revival because it was in the Batman movie. Um, that's gotten a bit of a revival. Smells Like Teen Spirit, of course. Uh, and there's a whole story behind that song that I'll save for the album archaeology. And uh, another track is Lithium. This is just a track I picked, kind of a deeper track off the record. 
But the record itself, Coop, I mean, every track is iconic. I think the record itself is sold, you know, I think it's in the top 100 sales still. Yeah. Um, it's it's an unbelievable record. Came out and just like between that and hip hop and Pearl Jam, like pop music was officially dead at that point. Yeah. yeah. Time of uh, death when that record came out. Very much. And, you know, we I heard a lot of people complain about this album winning. Mm-hmm. This album crushed it. it. The only challenge it got was from Dr. Dre. Yes. That was the and only time this, this yeah. dominated. Hector thought this would dominate. I thought it would be. I didn't think it would win it. But uh, Hector obviously had his pulse on this. and You did, too. I think you thought it was very high. Uh, this this album dominated our tournament, guys. I mean, Dr. Dre is essentially yeah. the chronic is essentially the nevermind of hip hop, really. Yeah, it was it was a very very tough matchup. Um, I that, mean, unfortunately uh, for this show, Chronic comes out ninety two. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but that that album changed music forever. As totally, well. it totally and it built a you know Dr. Dre in my opinion was like a little bit of like like that Prince, like yeah. he had this. He had this stable. He had this, like, you know what I mean? He had this, okay, he had a stable. I don't have a better way to put it of these artists. Yeah. Like, and he, and he fostered a lot of these artists in addition to doing his own good stuff. And the production, the, the production of it is still like how albums are produced today. Like, just the sound of it. Yeah, I agree. Of that record. I agree. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately for Dre, that's 92. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, exactly. Sense. Well, ninety two is an interesting year too, but maybe something oh, down the road we'll do that. Yeah, ninety uh, twos. Yeah. Um. Oh, speaking of Prince, I thought you'd pick this one. Yep. And I'm glad you did. Yeah, it's Prince and the New Power Generation, Diamonds and Pearls. Great now, record. Now, great record. I want to just go a little chronologically with Prince for a second, right? Yes. He had, he had. I'm gonna go way back, 1999 in '82. That was a studio album. Then 84 Purple Rain, kind of a quasi soundtrack. Quasi, yeah. yeah. Then he does Around the World in a Day studio album, right? Yes. Did decent, right? Mm. But then he does um, he does Parade, which is the soundtrack for Under the Cherry Moon. Mm. It, that and and he was doing stuff with the Revolution, his back band. Yes. Yep, he, yep, yep. he did the back band after 86. He does Sign of the Times in 87. Great record great record double album and then um and that was they actually did a, they actually did a movie on that too but it was a concert movie but after that then things started to change well he goes and does love sexy which was supposed to be the black album release supposed, and that never sees the light of day yeah kind of kind of sees it yeah well, <laughs> not, the black album the, sees it later yeah <laughs> then he does batman yes. soundtrack Yes. Doesn't really but and then he does Graffiti Bridge. Again, that's a soundtrack album. So he hadn't had a lot of studio albums as well. I'm kind of getting no. really signed at the times, right? So he comes in with new power generation with diamonds and pearls. It wasn't a replacement for the revolution. The revolution was a was a band, like it was a group. Like everyone had, but new power generation is more of a of a session musician he, he's using. So it's a term he used for session musicians and um I think this kind of was key for Prince to kind of go into the 90s. 
Like, I don't think Prince could have continued the road he was going through with the 80s was my point and why I went through all yeah. that. So he brings in these session musicians. It allows him to kind of tailor albums to various, you know, songs very well. And this was the first album that was credited to him. But MPG was actually a side project that Prince worked on. Um, and he used that because um, <laughs> later on down the line, when he was going through the whole symbol thing, this was another way for him to get music out. Yes. Like he, he wasn't a full-time member of MPG, but he did some songs with them. But I, I love this album, okay? And I think it was very different than what he... This was not what you saw in the 80s with him. Mm -hmm. um, Diamonds and Pearls uh, the, is a great ballad. That's kind of the, you know, the duet. It's a little more of a soft one. And it's just great instrumentation. You can see that this is just like cutting-edge Minneapolis sound. I, I don't know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. That was a big hit. There was another song called Cream that was a big hit, but the oh, song yeah. I think that blows it all get off is yes. unbelievable. I mean, just great, like great the record. funky, the funkiness and it, it, it's just uh, it. And, and funny, it didn't chart well, which was surprising. I would, but it was really, it was the first single I think that was released. And then I think when diamonds and pearls, it was a little bit of that, a little bit of a safer song, but mm -hmm. I think get off is, I remember when we did, um, when we did the Prince tribute show on jukebox, I think I picked yeah. this song because it was so good. This song. Oh, it's a great song. Uh, and you just, you just got to listen. And that was like, oh, I said, when I heard get off, I said, Prince is ready for this transition in, into the rest of the mm -hmm. decade. And uh, fantastic track. Uh, just a great album as well. And I think Prince, like I said, he knew with this going back to the fragmented music scene, he adjusted his band and his backing musicians to work with that really well. I think, and you make an excellent point, and I'm glad that you went through his sort of uh, history. Yeah. Is that he reminds me a lot of David Bowie in the sense that, like, they're always one step ahead yeah. of where music was going, you know? Yeah. And they continue to remain relevant, like, for decades because they're yeah. always sort of, like, one step ahead of the yeah. sound, you know? D they are. And, and the deeper tracks on this, there's some deep tracks on this album, too, that you can go through it. It's just it will just kind of like validate what you just said. You can see like, he's like one Bowie step ahead. Like yeah. yeah. But sometimes the audience wasn't ready for that, right? Yes. yes. But what happened is with Prince, I think a lot of people later kind of started discovering a lot of the stuff he did. And maybe when they didn't give it the time of the day in 91, maybe 10 years later, 15 years later, they realized, wow, he's really, uh, really on top of things. Well, his albums age very well, don't they? Like, they they really do. They really do. They, they don't sound dated. You know on the other hand, sometimes they're not like they're they're not ready for prime time just because. Yes. The the you know he's ahead of everybody. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. No, great pick. Yeah. Great, great job. Um, what do I have, Coop? Oh, I have what I'm smoking the cigar for. And that's the Metallica Black album. That, that uh, was my that was my pick. We talked. I know that was my pick for uh, the final yeah. four. Yeah, that pick. I, it's a great record. I mean, I think this record has aged well. Um, it seems to have gotten a lot. It's just had a recent anniversary and it's got a lot of attention. Um, I think I don't think it's their best record. I mean, I think their best record is uh, is uh, Ride the Lightning, which is a perfect yeah. record, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, this is sort of the last death rattle of metal for the 90s. Like you had this came out Ozzy Osbourne's 
uh, No More Tears came out. GNR's Use Your Illusion Ooh, 1 yeah. 2 came out. They all came out this year, and then you never heard from those bands again. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean, Metallica took a long hiatus, and they came back with when was Saint Anger? I don't remember when that is. Yeah. But I mean, they came back later. But um, but it was sort of like what I said in my notes is like those three records, and this record in particular is sort of like the metal stars going supernova before like imploding. <laughs> yeah. So, this is the last big push, and then it just sort of is gone. Uh, and it's a killer record. Um, and what I love about it, in con- contrasting it to the other records we're talking about, like 10 and Nevermind, is that it kind of is shows in this one year, that the end of one era, like Genesis, like you're talking about, Coop, the end of one era and the beginning of another. Yeah. So you can see it with these records. Um Hip hop and and grunge are gonna kill metal like they just kill it. But surprisingly, this still was the best selling album of the nineties. Yeah, the US. that was. I think it was because that was that last big. It was the last big push, right? It, there was yeah. nothing after that that came close with this uh, sales wise. I think this. I think if this record came out in ninety two and ninety three, it doesn't sell hardly at all. Yep, I reckon. Because uh, of what you said, like with Genesis, this record comes out a little bit later. I don't think it does well. No, no, because um, all the all the all the counterculture people that that Metallica sort of that Metallica had originally in the 80s, all those young people are now gravitating towards Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. And also like well, we'll look at Tribe, Tupac, uh, later on, Dre, like they're going to they're, they're getting more into that scene and leaving metal behind. Um, yes. But. It's a good it's a good record. Uh, the, the the tracks I chose, Sad But True, which is probably my favorite track on the record. Yep. Um, I love that song. Great metal song, I think. Probably the best metal song on the record. Um, Nothing Else Matters. I think this sort of like a lot of metal bands do those power ballad, power ballad things, which is sort of getting them into trouble. Yeah, I Nothing agree. Nothing Else Matters is sort of that power ballad. It's getting the band. It's into trouble. I agree. Um, and Enter Sad Man, which was the big single off it when it came out. But I don't think his age well. I think the song that ages the best off this record is Sad But True. I think that ages well. I really like Enters. I think Enters. I'll disagree a little with Enters Sandman because I think um, if you're a Yankees fan. Yes. uh, And if you're a Virginia Tech fan, uh, that song is so part of the, you know, being a fan of those teams. Yeah. I think maybe you can make that up, but if you're not a fan of those teams, I agree with you. You know, but if you're if you're an Yankees fan, that was Mariano's song. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was kind of weird because you don't associate Mariano Rivera with Metallica no, until no, that song. Don't. Yeah. But they played at Yankee Stadium, I think, for Mariano. They they embraced what that did. Oh, wow. Well, uh, listen, I, I, I was living in New York, and I can tell you something. In the area, that song was electric in the stadium when it was Rock played. It, yeah, it was something. Yeah, yeah. Again, not a New York type of song either, you know. Your uh, your next album is a, is a record that was highly uh, divisive on the uh, top on the '90s uh, bracket. How did this get bounced in the like as early as it did? But it, it, I, it I think it's backlash to the band because this record is phenomenal. It it was and it was such a it was a so again we talk about a transition year right. Um, U two was going through some pains. 
like at this point as a band, which is this is the first time I, you two have stayed together as a band for 40 years. Right. Yeah. But it was tested during this period uh, following Joshua Tree. There was definitely some conflicts going on in the band. Um, and they went into the studio with this with this uh, to do the, the album, which is Actum Baby is the album. Mm. Um, and they were having more problems in, in there. Right. They were having a lot more problems in there and it continued into this and it looked like that this album might not uh, come off. And we talk about we talked a lot about Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois. Mm. They were having their problems keeping these guys together. Right. But they had a breakthrough in one of the studio sessions. I think saved the band. And it was when they recorded the song one, which I think was a symbolic thing of them kind of really resolving a lot of the things that they did. And it was, you know, it was, you know, again, it was, I think that song was a little more of a carryover from the pop era with that. Right. Yes. But nonetheless, it, it, uh, it, um, had a big part in that. And the name actually was inspired for the album was kind of with the German unification, you know, the band kind of reunified with this. So that's kind of what, what they did with it. But there were songs on this album where U2 was very much in touch with what was going on in the music business, right? And there were darker songs on this album, right? And, you know, one song I think that just really, and it just fit in with what what we're seeing with the grunge movement, was this darker song called Until the End of the World. And really what it is, it's describing a conversation between Jesus Christ and Judas, right? That, that's that's what they, do. they talk. The verse talks of some of the lyrics talk about the Last Supper and stuff like that. And it is a darker song. Right. Mm. But it fit in what was going on in the music business. And people really got into this album. I mean, this album was a huge hit for them. You oh, should, yeah. I, again, Dave, if this album was released in 95 or 96, I don't know necessarily if it would have the same effect. I don't think it would yes. have been a flop. No. But I think they caught on. Like particularly that track until the end of the world, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, "Wow, this is like a darker side of you too I haven't seen before." Oh, it's a great, great yeah, song. it's a great song. And there's you know there's other great tracks on this album, you know the fly, um, yeah, you know trying wild to throw your arms around the world. Yeah. What? What was that? There's wild horses on this. Record. Yes, wild horses. Who's gonna ride your wild horses on this record? Uh, Mysterious ways is on this one as well. Oh. Yeah. Night and day, it's a great record. Yeah, I think too, Coop. Well, night and day YouTube, was uh, night and day wasn't on this one. I'm sorry. As a U2 fan, I think the issue is like this is a very much a bridge record for them. Yeah. So they're sort of taking their sound that's sort of like indie rock sound from before when they're on Island Records and whatever. Yep. They're taking that sound and they're sort of bringing in some more post-production effects like there's a lot more effects on the guitar there's a oh my goodness yeah and then they really dial that up to 11 with like pop and suropa and stuff after this so i think for this for for this record it's sort of is a big it's a big sort of division point for fans in that you have sort of a lot of fans after that just that loved all that and a lot of fans after this record were like oh i'm done (laughs) i don't want any of that so it's a big it's a big like dividing point i think it is. It is a big one because uh, it was a change. It was a big change for them, too. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, Joshua Tree was more 
I still look at Joshua Tree as a pop album. I don't yes. know how oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't look at um, I don't look at what do you call it um, like War Boy or something. Yeah, no, I mean those are not. I don't put it in the same category. Those aren't that. pop records, no. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they uh, you know, but it, that it was nonetheless, you know, I I think like I said, this this album um. I think if you're a diehard YouTube fan, you understand the importance of this album. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a, important. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's it's very important. Uh, they they racked up a couple. I think they racked up some Grammys with this one as well. Oh, it was a great record. Yeah, it it's was a um, great record. It was great. And don't forget Unforgettable Fire too. But again, I wouldn't yes. put this in the in, in the genre no. of Unforgettable Fire. This is them exploring what they could turn their sound into, which ultimately they make the decision to go heavy into the, the like electronic stuff. Yep. Uh, then they kind of come back in the 2000s. Yeah, then they changes. come back. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it's a great record. Great record. Yeah. It was also, you know, it was interesting that um, one actually didn't get released till 1992. This was a later year uh, release. But I just remember, I think The Fly actually was the first single release. Yeah, I think one was still getting all the airplay even over The Fly at that point. They must have had a lot of singles off this record. Sure. They had five. The Fly, Mysterious Ways, one. Even better than the real thing, and uh, who's going to ride your horses? But oh. until the end of the world was getting played again, it was getting played by a lot of stations because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so it was getting that single got a lot of airplay. Great record. Yeah, I oh. love that. I love that record. This is a fantastic record. You guys, shame on you guys bouncing the first album, right? Yeah, shame on you guys. <laughs> um, my next record is going to be quick. It's not a huge record, but I think it's important. And that's Queen Latifah's uh, Nature of a Sister. Yeah. Yep. Now, Queen Latifah had records out before this, but the reason I have it on here is, is 91 is a big year for hip-hop, and but it wasn't a big year for women in hip-hop. So you had a huge year for hip-hop in general. Ice Cube came out with the record, Heavy D, Cypher Till, Black Sheep, Ice-T. So there's a lot of records coming out, um, a lot of different sort of sounds. Hip hop was still a very male dominated genre. Yeah. For a long time. And a very misogynistic genre. I mean, it still is in a lot of ways. But Queen Latifah came out and was putting out great music and really helped blaze a trail that Missy Elliott is going to really dial up and Wait, yep. the door down later in the 90s that Lauren Hill will pick up. And that now we're seeing the byproduct of that now with like Lizzo. And Megan the Stallion, Doja Cat, and Little Sims, like a lot of uh, women artists now. Um, but I think this is important historically because it is starting that path towards women really taking a fuller role within hip hop uh, with this record. Um, so I, I think it's important to to kind of see that women in hip hop are, are going to are start are starting to come out with what's going to build and build and build throughout the 90s and then into the 2000s. Yeah. And now. Uh, but this was back then, you know, this was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Yeah. What you, what you would see from Queen Latifah on this album. Yeah. So we had Latifah's headed up to here. So that's Latifah talking about gender and stereotypes and race. And it's a very sort of like socially charged track, um, which is um, which is um, really pointed out there, which is which is quite good and which women will pick up on as well. And then fly girl, which is a great song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Queen Latifah. Put, good, good put, that's a good pick. Important, important album for what we're talking about here. Mm. 
Let's see your record here, Coop. Oh, here we go. So this doesn't fit in with anything I was talking about this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know how I can fit this in, but I think it was an important album for the black music scene. Uh, and the album's Lenny Kravitz's Mama Said. So do you know who, first of all, trivia question, do you know who Mama is? No. Oh, I used to. I don't think I do. I don't think so. Uh, it's a woman by the name of Roxy Roker, who was uh, Lenny Kravitz's mother. And she was very famous for the role on television of Helen Willis on The Jeffersons. All right. So Lenny was a, Lenny's, a, Lenny's our son. So that's Mama. Nice. Okay. Uh, and this is, I think, this album, right? You know, a lot of black music scene, they've been with R&B and soul, right? And Lenny incorporates certainly those elements into this album. But he also brings in, like, an edgy, like, so he brings in uh, Slash, who co-wrote and played on uh, one of the tracks I picked, Always on the Run. Mm. And that that's a great song, right? And that's, um, Mama Said is that, that's where the Mama Said comes from, it's in the lyrics of that song. And um, I, like I said, I think that's just Lenny. This was his second album. And he had kind of gotten some, I think, uh, you know, his first album had some definite um, buzz. You know, he did that song yeah. by Mr. Cab Driver. It's a whole song about being probably his prejudice here. Mm. Um, in a lot of ways, always on the run, I think, is, is, a, is a, maybe a follow up to that. Right. It's a really good lyric. But there's other good stuff on this album, right, that I want to point out. Um, two other songs in particular. Um, it Ain't Over Till It's Over. That's the classic, that's the soul R&B type song that's on here. And then there's a track that many people don't know. Ooh. It's called All I Ever Wanted. And it's Beatlesque. And there's a reason why it's Beatlesque. Because the co one of the co-writers of that song is Sean Lennon. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. And it's a really good track. It's going to have some of those beat. It's going to remind you of some of those Beatles orchestral stuff that they were doing late in their career. So All right. I, I, I don't know where this fits in with this album. Other than I just thought it was a groundbreaking album for a lot of, you know, black artists here where, you know, they, it just showed you're not they're not one trick ponies. He could do a hard rock song, a soulful song, and maybe even a Beatlesque song. And I'm like, this is a, an amazing album. Uh, and if you haven't seen Lenny Kravitz live, he is incredible live performer, this guy. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, but and I think he's important. Like, Lenny, Lenny's kind of one of those artists, I think, who he just found a way to survive in the 90s. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I think, too, I think the importance of Lenny Kravitz is that he's doing, like, rock in a typically white male dominated genre that's sort of rock guitar yeah genre yeah and he, and he like it was a big it was a big opportunity you could show hey hey i can i can i can rock with slash here mm. yeah Man, i can like i can work and do something around. like that sean Lennon. Yeah. yeah yeah and i'm not like a big sean lennon guy i don't think he's had a great career by any but but he's had moments and yeah. I think, you know, I think that all I ever wanted was was one of them that just gets forgot. Fortune gets forgotten about. It's a good song. Mm. Yeah. Great song. Great yeah. pick. Yeah. What do I got here, Cooper? We're, we're nearing the end here. Oh, OK. So uh, similar to you, I have Bonnie Raitt's Luck of the Draw. I would agree. It falls right into the same deal with this. Yeah. Her biggest record. It's not grunge. It's not hip hop. 
Um, but I think 91 was a, was not a huge year for women in music, but there are women putting out, like Queen Latifah, putting out, and we'll talk about a major record coming up, but putting out some great music that is really just going to gain in momentum over the next five years. That kind of, that kind of culminates in the Lilith Fair movement. Yep. Um, and Bonnie Raitt's part of that. That sort of rootsy blues that, because uh, uh, folk and roots, especially for women singer-songwriters later on, is very important. Um, so, I mean, Ida DeFranco also puts out a record this year. Uh, Not So Soft was her record. But it's this sort of idea that women in folk and blues are, start, are putting out records that are getting some attention that's just going to really grow and, and flourish in like 94, 95. Um, so I, I just, uh, so I think it's important for that sense. And you sort of seeing the seeds here of what's going to be Lilith Fair later on. And Bonnie Raitt is definitely a woman in that, like an amazing blues roots, like uh, artist. Yeah. Um, and, and the song I chose, I chose one song, <coughs> something to talk about. So something to talk about probably is like her big. Well, I don't know if it's her biggest single. It might be close. I think it was. I think you could make an argument for it. Is what I'll say. Yeah. So, um, like, like you know, maybe not, a, not, a, not. It didn't shatter, but you can sort of see the seeds, Coop. You can see the seeds planted for what's gonna, what's gonna uh, blossom later. Yes. With this body rate record. Yeah. You know what was interesting. You got to go back a couple of years. So she had Nick of Time was the album before this, right? And Nick of Time, like, shocked everyone in 89 and won the Grammy for best album. Um, and so this was like a follow-up album for, for her with this. I think um, it's the best album. Yeah, I mean, uh, and um, I think this actually was a good one of them. It was a better follow-up. Yeah. It didn't get the Grammy, which I don't understand, but... Um, you know, she that nick of time shocked everyone when it won the Grammy that year. It it uh it totally just like just completely uh you know no one no one saw that one coming. No. You have uh, a very important album too. Which, yeah. Uh, your next one, I don't think it's the band's best album, but a very important album. Totally not the best album, both commercially or critically, right? But. Again, you look at an, uh, this dark, grungy movement that's coming out, right? Yeah. And it's the Smashing Pumpkins debut album with Gish. Ooh. Ooh. Um, this was just, now you're getting into like a pure grunge album here. And, um, you know, this album, I think, is looked on, again, it was an album that was paid more attention to after 1991. Yes. When the, when the Smashing Pumpkins began to have some uh you know a lot more success but um i think it's an important album because i think it led you know i think it had its i think it had its following uh it's again it's kind of this album about spiritual ascension and all this right but a little more of a darker side to this right and the interesting thing is like uh it eventually did go platinum believe it or not yeah. Uh, even though like when it uh it peaked only 195 on the billboard chip, but years later when 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 this band the smashing punches really started to uh emerge you know people i think went back to this album and in fact rolling stone rated it the uh 32nd greatest grunge album of all time um but there's some good tracks on this album i mean yeah. i picked i think rhinoceros is uh it's a it's a staple of um um I think they actually released Rhinoceros on the second album they did too. Oh, on uh, Siamese Dream. 
Yeah, I, I oh, you know, one or I pretty, but it came right now. So it came out in 90, 91 right now. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of a they have a kind of a cool music video with it as well. Um, uh, but it's, that's kind of a staple of it. And then the other song I picked was I am I picked, yeah, I picked I am the one, which was the uh, first track off the album. Uh, and uh, you know, this uh, I think this this they I think they've done this song a lot too, and um. The interesting thing is I am the one it was when it was released as a single. It's like a very much a sought after collectible mm. single. Like if you can get the, the original pressing of that, it's one of the more inter interesting ones as far as that goes. Um, but uh, again, I, I just, uh, you know, I just think the, you know, the opening, the opening of this track, it's a great way to open it kind of your introduction to uh, Smashing Pumpkins comes from this album. Mm. So, um but I, again, people didn't pay a lot of attention to it that year. It kind of was, it was, but you look at the history and the importance of Smashing Pumpkins, uh, that this was a very important album that was released. Oh, yeah. You can see how it's buried with everything going on. Um, yeah. They, but, they also, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Coop. It kind of, there's, you know, it's interesting. There's almost like a Pink Floyd element with this album. I, I don't know how to explain it, though. Okay. It's not the music. It's just kind of the vibe. It, it, the early Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett. Like yes. There's a little bit okay. of a vibe with that. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, what I think really makes Smashing Pumpkins, right, what really sort of makes them is you have, well, the grunge sort of instrumentation like you're talking about, which is sort of, you know, but I, I really think it's like Billy Billy's voice. Like yeah. his sort of really romantic, kind of smooth, trippy, vibey voice. Yep. Like is a really good counterpoint to a lot of it's this very ethereal. It's a good counterpoint to like say Eddie Vedder's more gravelly. Yeah. You know, it's a good counterpoint to the music, which I think gave it like a different sort of spin. They found a way to get that guitar heavy sound in their music though. Yes. Where some of the other grunge bands couldn't do that. They were one that were that very much able to do that. Well, I think because of his vocal, I think his vocal lightens yeah. it up like it yeah. balances it out. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point as well. Um, but again, I think of, it's kind of a transition yeah. metal like this was mm -hmm. not that this was metal, but this was kind of what metal was becoming. If that makes sense. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, another band like that I have is Hole. Oh, this is an so, important album. Yeah. It's not I'm their biggest them. album. I think their biggest album is that Live Through This Record, which is iconic because it has like the Beauty Queen on the cover. Um, but Pretty on the Inside is the record that they came out with here. And this is really going to kick off Bikini Kill the following year, yep. the whole Riot Girl movement, which is like L7, Bikini Kill... Um, those sort, those um, those sorts of bands, Susie and the Banshees, um, that 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 continues today with uh, a track we're talking about, New Music Coop, but that sort of women taking on that grunge punk vibe because even grunge is very male dominated. Yeah, but you have them taking on that punk vibe. Um, I think as that as that movement progresses, it takes a like a far more, especially Bikini Kill, a very feminist activist sort of sort of edge to it. It's a very sort of edgy 
uh, movement, and they 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 started kicking it off with this record. Um, and their 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 following records are gonna be bigger reception, but this one um, is coming out in '91. Um, I mean, you got Sleater Kinney as well, uh, another band, but uh, the title track, Pretty on the Inside, um, is, is the one I chose to focus on. But much like Gish Coop, I think a record that might not have sold the well or been the best record of the band, but historically extremely important. Very like important. And again, at look at, you know, the whole Courtney Love thing and everything, too, being the lead, you know, of that. And like uh, this I, whole Riot Girl thing will get bigger in ninety between ninety two and like ninety five. Yeah. But they they're sort of like blazing the trail here with, with this record. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Coop. I thought you were gonna I was hoping you'd pick this one. Yep. Yeah, um this um and by the way, my last album I changed, just so you know. So I'll Ooh, I'll tell you that I, I pulled the last minute change on the last one, but um yeah, so the album's Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. The band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice. Um, so this was, a, again, you, we talk about transitions that bands were making. Um, the Chili Peppers were in the 80s. This was their third album. But in the 80s, I'd say they weren't this, like, alternative band as much. Uh, no. You know, they were kind of this, like, funk metal. I don't know how you put it, right? Funk, you know. Yes. But... I, this album was really interesting because um, they had um, an album. They had the album beforehand. Uh, what was it? Mother's Milk? Mother's Milk. Mother's Milk, yeah. yeah. So, and they were EMI, and they left EMI, and they brought in Rick Rubin uh, to be the producer. Mm. Rick, they had wanted to work with Rick oh. Rubin. Rick Rubin said, "You guys are too fucking burnt out, right? We, we, we you, you guys, are, I, you guys, you guys gotta get your shit together." They got their shit together, I guess. And um, you know, and Mother's Milk—that's when John Frusciante and, and Chad Smith had joined the band, right? So they, this was really the second album with the core yes. band as we know it, um, which was which was one thing. And this was a key album because I think this is where we saw the band get away from the heavy guitar riffs. And they moved to this alternate sound. I think this is where Flea totally like, like a base, a bass led band. Like Flea becomes this like the bass is being used much more as a lead instrument on this, right? Then um then we've you know the only like John Deacon did a little bit of that with Queen, but I think Flea, why Flea yes. is so highly regarded is his bass sound became very, very key. And I think very that was central. Yeah. Um, yeah. And exactly. And so the, the Chili Peppers changed their sound and they actually had a bidding war actually also to get on a new record label. It was a big bidding war to happen. And Warner Brothers got them from EMI. Um, and they, they come out with this album again, they transition and they're, they're lockstep in with what's happening right now. Um, and they do it. They knock it out of the park. I mean, so you have give it away. You know, and that's like that flea bass is just like on fire, and it, Anthony Kytus with with the with the with the mm-hmm. with the uh, the fast paced vocals that he does with that, right? But then you have Under the Bridge, which is more of a a ballad, yeah, huge track. But, but again, it kind of not a heavy guitar laden thing. It, it really emphasized. That's I think that's the song. These two songs are absolutely the ones that really set them on a great trajectory um, for the next 
10 years for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're talking about Mother's Milk Coop. And um, you, you could the biggest track off of that was probably Higher Ground. Yeah. You compare that with what's on this record, and it's total evolution. And totally different, yeah. Totally different. Uh, and this is a band that this they absolutely seized the decade when it happened. Oh, they definitely did. Um, which uh, you know, um, you know, like I said, I think it was um. I think Rick Rubin did a major part with, with these guys um, with, with, you know, helping them with this transition. I think, you know, him working with them, this is where I think a producer is very key because he's the one who has to, he's the third, he's that outside voice who has to tell them this is good or this is not, and this is what works and this is what not. And I think it's one of Rick Rubin's best productions he's done with this album for sure. Re-energized the band for sure. It really did, and uh, you know, then then you know, it the decade was theirs. It's like I said, mm, and they found a way to get on radio. These guys too, you know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I go, I love the, I love the bass work on this album. It's, it's oh, Flea's so good, and he'll do like any album. Like if you're listening right now and you want to do an album, ask Flea. It's He's been on so many records. He, he was he, on Jagged Little Pill. He does like anything. Yeah. And and watching Flea play the bass live, um, you know, oh, he's amazing. just that. You know, he's just that. That'd be incredible. He's like a he's like a rubber band almost. It's like yeah, he's so energetic. Uh, the only like another bass player, like Verdi White from Earth, Wind and Fire, was very energetic mm. too. But Flea just brought it to this alternative scene, um, and and just like I said, you know, fantastic. Uh, speaking of fantastic, I'm I'm finishing up with two hip hop records. I got Public Enemy, Apocalypse '91, The Enemy Strikes Black. This is a follow up to the iconic Fear of a Black Planet. And why I think Public Enemy is so important is it has this real sort of social activist yes vibe to hip hop. Not saying that the others don't, but like where Ice Cube and that were focused primarily on race in terms of poverty and police brutality. Um, Chuck D really took it to like, not just talking about police brutality, but racism as a systemic issue and one that sort of impacts like every aspect of life for uh, African-American in society. And he, he like, um, and I think he really sort of moves that sort of social activist form of hip hop forward, which is going to be key to like hip hop sort of from 91 on really like yeah. gone with the days of like hammer. Don't hurt him. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's like, you got to have some substance to what you're doing. Um, and with the song I chose, I only chose one song. Um, and I chose, uh, by the time I get to Arizona and, the reason for this is that this is when Arizona was a recognizing Martin Luther King Day right, as a national yep. holiday. And it, it's perfect, I think, because it sort of encapsulates all the sort of issues of race in the system and race as uh, as not just like the impact of race, like for him in society, but the impact of race is like in how the country was formed in itself. Um and, and it's a good sort of um, song for that. And I think he talks a lot about these larger issues um, that then really propel music for, I mean, 
the Public Enemy, I think, and Ice Cube, along with Dre in '92, just kill pop rap. Like the idea of, pop like we talked about it before. It, yeah. Like, the, the, like yeah. your your uh, like your Fresh Prince, like your MC Hammer. Like that's dead. Like you got to yeah. have an edge. Like this is where pop. This is where hip hop turns into punk music, in my opinion. It's where hip hop like, really developed yeah. into. Like it just became a much more creative outlet than than you know, like Hammer Time. And I'm not, not you know, yeah. I get those those were fun songs but, to hear. But you had to have something to say, Coop. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you had to have something. Even and like were you, connecting with that. Even when you go back to like Curtis Blow, like with basketball and stuff. Nice song, but again, this is where we really started to see hip hop. It kind of just the you know. I think a lot of this has to do again with the fragmentation of this. And, and you started yeah. seeing these types of songs uh, from Public Enemy get on the air, which maybe they wouldn't have gotten on the air five years beforehand. So, yeah, I think it was Sister important. Sister Soldier was on that record. So still yeah. like showcasing uh, women in hip hop. Yeah. Um, and my final pick is really going to dial it up to like a million. Uh, yeah, no, but, yeah. But that but that I think Public Enemy, I think I think. Having those records, Freedom of Black Planet, and then the Enemy Strikes Black follow up each other, I think really uh, propels hip hop forward astronomically. Yeah, I agree. Oh, now this is the secret pick. So this is yeah. in my show notes, people. Yeah, this, this one is, is. This is. Cold. Yeah, but I talk. Yeah, and I I almost didn't pick this album, but I actually opted to put it in there because um, it was another Pop's Last Stand album, and it was a monster album that year, and I felt like to ignore it. But it was the final hurrah for Brian Adams, I think, with um, Waking Up the Neighbors. Yes. Um, So, you know, Brian Adams always had a. I think Brian Adams, he's always been compared to the Springsteen of Canada. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could say that uh, when he did Reckless, um, it was Springsteen-esque, right? Into the Fire, which was the 87 album, was a very more like his Born in the USA for Canada. Like the lyrics were very much focused on uh, a little more social type stuff. Um, there was a little more social stuff. It kind of had, but it wasn't a big hit. So he comes out with Raking Up the Neighbors, which I think is just his pure pop album he did. It was actually one of his biggest selling albums. And it was one of the biggest yeah. selling albums of the year, which is why I included it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this album had the track on it, um, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which was the biggest song of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's biggest. Yeah. Not a great song. Okay. It, it was it was in some it was in the Robin Hood movie, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a great song. But he's got some other good tracks on this album, right? That just is like vintage Brian Adams, like that's that that vibe. Uh I picked uh, there will be another there will there will never be another tonight, mm-hmm. which is a a really good uh really good tracks that Brian Adams raspy voice and, and, and guitar work with that. Um, and then there's a deep track I picked called Not Guilty, which again, it w- didn't get any airplay, but it was a really good track. Um, and again, it's kind of, it was Brian Adams' last hurrah is like the under 30 rebellion yes. from Canada. He never after this album um, had the uh, massive, he never had a big album after this, right? Um and unfortunately, this album, I think, again, if this album was released in 95, it would have been a flop. But I think the Robin Hood movie helped it. And there was some, a lot of airplay he was getting. And I like Brian Adams. I've seen him in concert a lot. He's really good. He's really energetic. Uh, but this was the last hurrah. And I, I put it in because 
I put it more because it was a big album that year, and it was probably pop, again pop's last stand. Yeah. Albums weren't going to happen after this. Yeah, interesting because another record I didn't put on here, but I was thinking about it. That's sort of in the same vein was um, Michael Jackson's Dangerous. It was. I also thought about putting that one on there. But you're right. It's in the same vein. It's sort of like yeah. Pop's Last Stand because um, Dangerous comes out. And we all know Michael Jackson's um, the, the the allegations that followed him, like, with you know, with his drug use and death and then, you know, um, possible sexual abuse of children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't it was, a big hit. It wasn't a huge hit album for him. And looking at this record, but yeah, it, I mean, he had Black or White, which is probably the biggest hit off it. Yeah, um, that's true. But it was Pop's Last Stand. It was sort of like that that pop sound, that sort of very factory studio sound is, is very like factory. Die. Studio sound. Yes, it yeah. was very much. Um, and, you know, this this album just kind of cranked out several hits. Um, can't stop this thing. We started there were a lot of these other tracks that kind of made their way. Uh, Thought I died and go to heaven. I mean, they were just. They were safe tracks. They were friendly. Yes. If, if pop, if good, top forty yeah. was looking to play something, it did. Um, it not necessarily his best work, but I put this one because again, the album was a monster album. I was gonna yeah. put simply Red Stars. Yeah. Um, I just felt, you know, that one was a that's another weird one. It was gonna be in the category of I don't know why this is here, and I did one of those. Let me put yeah. the biggest album on here. That's why I changed it. Uh, no, it's a great yeah, pick because I yeah. mean that, and I just heard you talking about that record. It reminds me so much of like Dangerous and like what. It, it's a great on. analogy. Like those types of albums, this is the this was the end of the line for this type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because you could you compare those albums to my final album, which is Tupac Shakur's Tupacalypse Now. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is a monster. Yeah. Um, debut record. It's gonna change West Coast hip hop forever. Yep. Uh, this, along with Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, is going to define the West Coast sound. That's still sort of like Snoop Dogg. Um, it's still sort of that sound today, although I think like Southern, like Atlanta and Memphis and stuff is sort of getting more play now, but in trap and stuff. But uh, this is a sound that's going to dominate West Coast for yep. a decade at least. Yep. I agree. It's a good, a very good pick. Now, again, you talk about the East Coast, West Coast thing. Yeah. And can you compare this to the first record we talked about, which is that tribe record? And you compare those. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Dave, what's interesting is Tupac really didn't catch on in the East back then. So no, it was really, I didn't start hearing this until years later. Yeah. Time. Very regional. <laughs> Very regional. Yeah. Um, but, but like you, you look at this record and it's, and it's, it's a very grounded record where I was talking about public enemy is talking about, these higher, I guess, higher concept racial issues, but grounding it in like, you know, Arizona yeah. and grounding it in like fight the power and stuff like that. You have Tupac, which is talking about higher issues around police brutality, around poverty, yep. around uh, systems being designed to favor white people at the expense of black people. Yep. But he grounds them in very, like, I guess, like, uh, everyday or street-level songs. So he takes these higher concepts and really, ground, maybe really personalizes them. 
which which I think is a key to his music. Um, and like NWA and Ice Cube, like they're really taking these these high concept ideas of police brutality and systemic abuse of black people yeah. by white people in order to succeed. And they're but they're grounding it in like stories of this is what it's like for me and my uh, friends and family on the streets. And I think grounding it that way is is what makes him powerful. And, and his sort of songs that really do that is the song Trapped, which is off this record. And also young black male, so it's it's really grounding these these big bigger social concepts that are you know coming out of Rodney King, coming out of just yeah. you know the distrust of government in general. Yep, and it's it's grounding them in a way that's very personal to him, but also connects with a lot of people. Yeah, um, I agree. This this record is huge historically. I mean, maybe not his biggest record. Uh, because he has other records after this that are that I think are a lot bigger, both commercially and critically. But but this record is a huge is a huge historical record. Yep, agree. Had to put it on there. Had to put it good, on. Good it. one. Yep. Yeah. I like Final it. Final thoughts, Coop. Well, you know, I think what we saw. I talked a lot about the transition. It it didn't stop in '91. I would say it was a three year period. Of this, like, again, the demise of top 40. And uh, what we saw is by 94, it was a complete overturn of um, the music industry. Top 40 radio fragmented into many parts. Uh, there was adult contemporary. There was alternative. Like, a lot of the pop stations were now playing a lot of alternative. Some went totally in the urban areas to hip-hop. Um, and, you know, by 94... We, we, it was very different. And then we saw, you know, we didn't get into really, you just saw the rise of bands like Gin Blossoms in, you know, 93 and 94, the Arizona. Side. You saw a lot of different things, but this was a, this was a, this was the beginning of a transition. And like I said, by 94, 95, we were looking at the music business, we pop the contemporary music scene completely different than what we were looking at like four years earlier. I think that that is an excellent point. Uh, by you that were really 91 although these big records are coming out it's really like the beginning of a movement that's gonna that's gonna really take off over the next four or five years post, yeah post yeah 91. i agree and, and you point out it started actually a little earlier than 91 yeah like 89 but i mean it didn't really but you didn't have this this amount of music then in yeah 89 you had like yeah. records here and there um I, but that and we talked about sort of a lot of stuff, but I think I th well, I said in my notes, Coop is right. <laughs> so, so this is a huge shift. I don't think, Coop, we're going to see another shift like this until 2019 to, to now. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the then, next time we see a shift of this. Size. Then we just saw like this guitar thing vanish almost uh, by gone. then. Gone. I mean, where and suddenly it was more vocals were so important uh, and less complex music happened. Uh, which, yeah. which that's not necessarily a negative. It just, it create it was a new thing. That, yeah. I mean, we should talk at some point about the transition in 2019. That would be another good year to do. But it's, uh, it's, but I don't think, I think after 91, I don't think we see anything to that size and scope until 2019. We, we don't, we definitely don't. Um, Cause even sure. early 2000s, they're still trying to capture the sound that was in like 91, 94. Yeah. I mean, it's still really kind of playing yeah. off of that still. 
Yeah. And, and you know what was interesting, Dave? By 94, there were hit uh, artists who were used to putting out an album and they could go through top 40 and they can generate hit after hit. Not Suddenly couldn't do it anymore. Like Phil Collins was a great example of that. He comes yes. out with both sides in 1993. Phil Collins was a hit machine like the decade before. He couldn't get anything going with that. I mean, it just, it was suddenly he had to find other ways to kind of uh, figure out how to get his music out there. And then eventually things like Napster and stuff would come along. But yeah. yeah. Uh, No. Oh, how's the cigar coupe before getting new music? Uh, This is fantastic. This cigar, like I said, this uh, uh, snake shake is, uh, it's a very straightforward flavor profile. It starts out, you know, more cocoa and some coffee notes and, but the spices pick up in the second half. So you get a little more spice, you get a little more cedar notes, a little more woody. But the but the coffee foundation, excuse me, the cocoa foundation is still there with this. That so just sounds amazing. It's a it's a very it's a very straightforward cigar, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily it have complex flavors, but the flavors produced are really good. And I think that's what you want on a cigar like this. Um yeah, I hope this cigar continues. Um with the future of room one on one. I think I think it's a good cigar. Good good job by uh Matt and uh, the luxury guys. Mm, my uh that that kind of mushroomy note really picked up and I love it. Yep. In this cigar. I sort of picked up with some sweetness. I'm kind of near the final third now. Man, this it's it doesn't really kick down in strength and body either. It is like this cigar just like starts hot and like keeps going, man. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is. Um, and it's like I said, it's a, you know, black market eventually became not just a cigar, but a brand. You know, they had the um, the filthy hooligans come out, the illicits, yes. the Nicaragua. Uh, but that's the OG that you have there. And I think uh, a very important cigar for Alec Bradley um, in that, you know, some of the other, you know, even Prinsado wasn't a cigar for everybody. No, but this cigar became a cigar. The everyday Alec Bradley uh, brought a lot of I know people became regular Alec Bradley smokers because of this cigar. And I, I hope to see him do it in a in a in a firecracker. That'd be incredible. That would be really good. I'm actually gonna see if I see Dave at the show. I'll I'll, I'll suggest it to him. I don't know what his relationship was with Alec Bradley, but on the side. Yeah, yeah. This one's for free. Yeah. Um. There you go. <laughs> we won't even ask. Coop. Yeah. Um. So you know, mention Cigar Hustler again. Uh, Deltona, Florida. Uh, they have a store there. You can uh go there. They have a great selection. Great lounge. Um. Everything from boutiques to tried and true brands like Perdomo and Fuente. Uh, they have their own brand, Postani. They'll be at the show this year. And as we say every week, uh, if you can't get to the store, uh, CigarHustler.com is the next best place to go. And uh, they carry a lot of brands on there. And uh, get on that mailing list because stuff comes and goes quick with them. And that's the best way to do it. And usually their emails go out around midnight on Thursdays a lot of times. So. Or Friday morning, I should say. So check it out. Um, and we'll be seeing Mike at the show this year. So and and uh, we'll be uh, having a little fun with him, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure you will. And Good. and uh, and Dave, if you're listening, if you do the firecracker, all Coop and I ask for is a box. Like yeah, yeah, Dave, give a box. Us a box. I'll have to talk to Oliver on that too. If Dave, can't. Oliver's uh kind of doing because now the firecrackers aren't two guys exclusives. They're released to no. two guys first, and then they go national. So that's a kind of a cool way. You know, that's, that's a great evolution of that. Firecracker, I think, has become a great limited series over the years. So um, check out that Bandolero one, by the way. It's really good. I'm telling you. I got to get more of those, yeah. Black Market Firecracker. Yep. Yep. Anyway. All right. What do we got here, Dave? 
New song. I do a review of this. Pusha T, I pray for you. Um, it's Good off one. of his record. Almost dry. It's almost dry. Is the record yeah. uh, for Clips fans? That was the band he did with uh, Malice before. He reunites with Malice on this track, so it's a good, good Clips reunion. Um, and Pusha T likes to rap a lot about cocaine yeah. <laughs> and, and how he used to sell cocaine. Yeah. Used to package cocaine. He raps a lot about cocaine. Yeah. But on this album, what he does a bit differently is he's still rapping about cocaine, but he's looking a bit more at what the cost of that has been, both to the African American community. And the cost to him, like, you know, being part of that scene. Uh, so it's a bit more of a it's a bit more of him looking at just just a bit more introspective of a record. And it's a very good record. Mm-hmm. So check that out. The other one, Coop, this is an Australian band. I hadn't heard of these guys. Uh, I, I just you. found it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. The so new music a... is looking slim. <laughs> yeah. Find one. And uh, it's called, the band is called Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's all girl uh, kind of punk band, skate punk band. And the track's called Ah! <laughs> like it's A-H-H-H-H uh, exclamation point. And it's off the, the EP is called Pretty Good for a Girl Band is what the name of the EP is called. Yep. And, it, and I, the reason I put it is it's very in the vibe of that Riot Girl vibe we talked about. And I love it. Great energy. It's an EP. Um, I don't know if they have a full LP out yet at all as a band. Um, so I'd be on the lookout for them. They're an Australian band, so I don't know if they'll hit over in the U.S., but um, it's a great sound, and I think they got uh, a good future ahead of them. Yeah. And the album uh, archaeology, because Nas X has been in the news lately, uh, and it is Pride Month, I want you to check out the album that's sort of causing this sort of mini-controversy. And that's Lil Nas X with Montero, a highly critically acclaimed album. It's a great record. It's a good follow-up. What I say is it really takes Lil Nas X from being a possible one-hit wonder uh, with his country song to like a true artist in his own right that puts out good music. Um, So the the title track, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, and the other track, Industry Baby, are the biggest tracks. Uh, but he also does a track called Scoop with Doja Cat. Which Doja Cat's around love. again, yeah. We both love here on the jukebox. So yep. so check check that out. Good job, Dave. Oh, I love this show. This is great. This was a great show. Um, so, yeah, let's kind of bring it to a close. Um, this was a very fun show. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Stay tuned uh, for our social media pages. We'll announce our next show shortly uh, when and what that will be. So just stay tuned on that. Uh, Dave, thank you very much. Um, thanks to our audience. Thank you, That's, Yeah, no problem. That's going to wrap up Primetime Jukebox episode 73 into the annals of history for this uh, Father's Day weekend edition. Uh, by the time you hit this, hopefully everyone had a great Father's Day. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. Take care. <laughs>